The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you and for the next 30 minutes, as always, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction. We espouse no particular belief on how to overcome it other than telling you that it is possible. Joining me as always on a Saturday morning is uh, Dan Trelaro. Danny is with Epic Risk Management and my right-hand man. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. And uh, happy to have on the show with us today another gambler in recovery like myself and Dan. This is Dave. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Craig. How are you today? Doing great. I really appreciate you coming on to share your story. Uh, I guess the first question is, how long have you been in recovery, and when was your last bet? My uh, be in recovery uh, in a couple of weeks. It'll be 35 years. My last bet was in February of '87. Wow! So, Congratulations, wow. 35 years. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been a good run. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you may you've more years without gambling, I guess, than you do gambling. So that's a great thing as well. Let, let's I, go. Let's go all the way back. Um, how did it start for you? Was it an innocent? You know, family thing, a couple of buddies going to the track. What was the origin of your gambling? Much earlier than that, Craig. It was nothing about family. Uh, where I grew up in uh, in Philadelphia, first gambling I did didn't even involve money. It involved baseball cards, which we all collected when I was a kid. Mm, yep. And I'd go up the street to my buddy's patio, and we'd flip cards. And, uh, you know, you'd flip them two ways. Uh, you'd kneel down and flip them to the wall, or you'd flip them over and over, match and dematch. And uh, you could win or lose a whole stack of cards. And, uh, you know, it, it was gambling. And, I mean, if I if went up the street with 100 cards and came home with 20, boy, I was really disappointed, you know. And uh, I tell this story a lot. If I did come back with a smaller stack, you know, my mom might notice, you know, where'd all your cards go? And I would make up a story. I lent them to this guy. I lent them to that guy. I couldn't tell her the truth. And uh, then I'd have to figure out a way to replace the cards. I'd run around the corner and uh, shoplift a few packs. So yeah, I was seven years old and getting into like all kinds of things that I shouldn't have been into then. And I and I tell I tell this story, Craig, because from that time on, I never stopped gambling. I loved everything about it. Anything yeah, that had a risk value to it was just totally tempting to me. It's funny you say that because uh, that's never come up on this show in the year plus we've done it. And I just had this amazing flashback to doing the exact same thing. And, you know, dawns on me, you know, we we play wallsies and either you match position or the color of the stripe at the bottom of the card or, you know, the league or whatever it was. And the reason I bring that up is because my kids don't have that. They don't collect cards anymore. So I'm trying to figure out, like, what are my kids doing that would be akin to that where it's gambling, but you have no idea it's gambling. And I think... Gaming is probably uh, their yep. version of that right now. Uh, but yep. it's interesting that you said that, you know, you became kind of early on attracted to that risk, yeah? Uh, absolutely. The risk was the thing, and, I mean, it never left me. And, I mean, it stayed with me all through those young years. I, I Again, all my stories are repeats. I've told them before, but as sports guys, you know, I took uh, – I, 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 I bet some money on the 1962 World Series, that famous World Series that ended with McCovey smoking the ball to Bobby Richardson. And I lost $16 to a kid that was a year older than me and a little bit tougher than me. Right. And I had a really scuffle to get that money to pay him. 
I started stealing from my father $5 a night because if I took more, he would notice. Took mm. off of school for a couple of days while I collected the dough. And, I mean, you know, it, it's all it's all comparative. When you're 12 years old and you lose $16, yeah. it's like when you get older and you're making money and you lose much, much more. Sure. Yeah, money's relative to what you have or have access to. It's interesting, though, that at a very young age, you went right to doing not necessarily illegal things, but to doing bad things to try to get the money. Absolutely. I couldn't see any other way. I mean, uh, you know, I was I was scared. I didn't have any uh, uh, like any coping skills at all at that time. And, uh, you know, in a sense, I, I knew I was going to have to pay the guy. And, um, you know, so that's what I did. I mean, I had no I had no uh, compunction about, you know, stealing that money. So did that, uh, you know, carry on into your teenage years and young adult years? Well, I think at some point in time, I probably got more honorable. I didn't really do any serious thieving, but uh, the gambling never, ever, ever slowed down. And, and uh, where'd you, know, you? So where? Where? So back then, you're talking about the 1960s into the early 70s. You're either hitting the track or you're betting with a bookmaker, I assume. Three things: hitting hitting the track all the time with guys who were a little older than me because I didn't have my driver's license. There were definitely bookmakers around, even in high school. Right. I even dabbled in that a little bit. And then the third thing was we'd play poker all the time, little pickup games. I mean, I played a million hands of poker in my life, Craig. You know, this was before the yep. poker in poker phase of today. We we played dealer call games, five yep. stud and seven stud, but we played poker all the time. Yeah, it's funny. I remember I'd, I'd say I have a very similar story. And uh, it's funny, Dan, as we look back on many of us becoming, you know, all or nothing gamblers, which is part of the compulsion. You know, whenever we would play, you know, Friday night cards with the guys, I always remember the last hand of the night was always AC Ducey. And yeah. that, that gave everybody a chance to either get even or to lose everything, you know? It's, it's oh my funny God. you say that because we would play serious poker like till one in the morning. Right. You know, with guys really taking it serious, bobbing and weaving and, and, and bluffing. And then when we got done, we'd play like an hour of cold hands, which had <laughs> no skill at all. And right. you could be a big no. winner from poker thinking you were slick and, and, and go dead broke playing cold hands. Dan, is it yeah. normal for a lot of compulsive gamblers to seek out any type of risk or wager as opposed to only going towards the game they like the most? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Just hearing this is bringing back so many memories. You know, before I answer that, I'm, I'm thinking about flipping baseball cards, bringing them into school, playing the poker for the pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters, marking the cards. I was the one who brought the cards to the poker game on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. So already when I was 14, 15 years old, I was marking cards and cheating my friends out of money every Friday and Saturday. And, you know, it's funny, the big difference then was those were all tangible things. You know, we were playing poker with cards. We were flipping actual baseball cards or regular cards. Nowadays, Craig, you mentioned it. It's prize packs. It's video gaming. It's digital packs. It's digital poker. The games are similar, but the method in which people access them are different. And at the end of the night, it doesn't matter. You know, I just want this rush to continue. I'll play any game now. You might start with the games that you really like, but by the end of the night, you're going to play whatever you can. It's kind of like people who struggle with alcohol. They might drink their preferred drink early in the evening, but by the end of the night, they'll drink anything that's around them. So, Dave, I'm assuming your story, and I apologize for not knowing it coming into the interview, is at some point a financial risk that you couldn't cover. Is that fair? Uh, absolutely. But uh, the fact was that I was I was in that world of gambling, Craig. And so 
I just, you know, I, I had plenty of enablers and guys right. that would bail me out. Uh, wasn't, you know, I always say that I walked around with plenty of money, but I was always dead broke. No, I get that. I get that completely. And like I've said, you know, there's a whole bunch of people I can never talk to again for the rest of my life. And they're not bad people. They're just people that if I called them right now would be in front of my office in 30 minutes to take me to a casino if I wanted to. I, absolutely. That's true. And I, I mean, you know, that was that was probably in 78, Greg, when Atlantic City opened. That was the beginning of the end for me. I wouldn't blame Atlantic City, right. but I mean that really that sped my downfall because for me it was a dream come true. I didn't have to get on a plane anymore and fly to a casino. Yeah, I lived an hour from Atlantic City. I was totally familiar with Atlantic City because I'd spent my entire youth there on the beaches, and now it was like I can't believe it. There's actually blackjack, you know, one hour from my house. So let's get into uh, when it became problematic or took over your life. Was there? A specific time frame in your life? Was there a causal reason for it, or did it just kind of naturally happen because you love doing it so much? Yeah, that's the kid. With me, it was more a body of work kind of thing. Like there wasn't there wasn't any one great like apocalypse. I didn't I didn't come home and I wasn't locked out of my house. My mm. car wasn't just repossessed. But I was just I was gambling every single day, every single moment, and ignoring every other facet of my life. And I had some friends that were in other 12-step programs and were preaching a little bit to me about just the idea of recovery. And um, so I, I went to uh, I went to a 12-step Well, let me meeting. stop you there. Before you before you went to uh, you know, a GA meeting or, or another type of meeting, do you uh, viscerally remember like a bottom-of-the-barrel moment, like a, a come-to-Jesus kind of moment that led you to go? Like did you have a horrendous loss that you couldn't cover? Did something take place? It was about quality of life. I looked in the mirror one morning. Every day I was getting up and just trying to figure out where I was going to gamble, when I was going to gamble, what I was going to ignore to gamble. And I just said, I can't keep living like this. And then I did have I did have a moment, and uh, actually it was in Atlantic City, where I'd had a, a pretty good weekend. And then just before I went home, I went downstairs. I lost a fortune. I was staying over the night, and I was tossing and turning that night and thinking, I wasn't really thinking suicide, but I was thinking I can't live like this anymore. Right. And uh, that was when I decided to go to a meeting. Uh, again, there was nobody like it. I was single at the time, so I wasn't like forced in. But I went to a meeting. I wasn't scared. I had like some decent curiosity. Yeah. And as you well know, when I got to the meeting, I, I you know, I just I loved being in the company of gamblers my whole life. And here I was in the company of gamblers, except they weren't gambling. I felt totally at home. Yeah, it's like the, the faces are all familiar, but for the wrong reason, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and they they sounded like me. I, I mean, I drove. I, I went to the meeting thinking I was sicker than them, which you know is not uncommon. Yep. That I had some sense of uniqueness, and it took about one minute for that feeling to go away. Yeah, I, I love hearing that story because I've told yeah. that story a million times on this show and other shows that it wasn't until I sat in a room with uh, 12 other people, all different walks of life, men and women, from a uh, keno addiction to a lottery addiction to scratch-offs to slots to whatever. And uh, I, was, uh, I was the best among them. They couldn't possibly understand what I felt and how I processed gambling. And bang, 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 bang around the room like they stole my words. <laughs> yeah, they, and it's true. And yet they were, like, they were hardcore, but they were warm, you know, like... When they reached out to you, you really felt like it, it was sincere. Yeah, that was weird to me. I yeah. felt that part uncomfortable at first. Like, these people can't be this nice. You know, you know, you know what <laughs> I mean? 
Exactly. I mean, I remember standing outside my very first meeting, and I, I'm a social guy. I wasn't in any rush to go home. I wasn't intimidated. It was a Monday night, and somebody said, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I, I felt like saying, what the hell is it your business? <laughs> right, and, right. And, and, and they said, well, some of us that go to this meeting go to another meeting. And I was naive. I, you go again tomorrow? You, you don't wait till next week? And it turns out I wasn't doing anything the next night, so I went. And I started to get a sense of how the program worked. And, of course, I had a couple of people, and they've passed on since then, but a couple of people that got singled out in my life that became my mentors. And uh, I missed them every single day. And if it wasn't for a couple people, you know, I might not be here today. But I just got such great advice, and it was it was so sensible, Craig. You know, sometimes I would ask a guy a question. It would take me a minute and a half to ask the question. He'd give me a three-word answer. And it meant and it was, something, right? And it was right. It was totally correct. Talking to Dave, uh, who's in recovery for over 30 years, and uh, Dan Trelaire, of course, Epic Risk Management. We'll take a very quick break. We'll continue on. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig, Craig Carton, Dan Trelaro, and Dave who uh, is a, I mean, I'm sure in some circles you're, you're a legendary presence. And it's guys like you, and Dan, we talk about this a lot, that means so much to guys like me. Like, you know, I'm three years and seven months in recovery. Um, and I'm really proud of that. And I've told this story before, uh, Dave, where I met a guy who had been in recovery. He was celebrating his 30th anniversary. And I went up to him after a meeting, and I said, you've got this figured out. Like, why are you still here? Because in my head, I figured once I feel like I conquered it, I'm not getting up Saturday morning and going to another meeting. And he said to me that the reason he's got it figured out is because he comes to the room every week for 30 years. And I wonder if you feel the same way. Absolutely, I feel the same way. Not only that, I feel that if I were to disassociate myself from the fellowship, I'm still not immune from bad things happening to me. Besides... I've been, been around a while now, and I mean, I totally enjoy everything about it. I have breakfast four or five days a week with people in the fellowship, and we laugh, and we have a great time, and we don't talk about gambling. And, um, you know, it's great. And, I mean, it's just a simple one day at a time. Like, your three years and seven months is an enormous accomplishment. And yep. in two weeks, I'll have my anniversary, and people will say, that's amazing. And I'll just say, listen, here's how you do it. You mm-hmm. don't gamble, and you don't die. And that's how you get a long time in this fellowship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, I wonder when you said you guys don't talk about gambling. You know, I, I get asked this question a lot. You know, I'm surrounded by it. You know, my, in my chosen profession, obviously. You know, it's uh, every minute of every day at some point, you know, uh, there's a gambling ad or, you know, I'm exposed to, you know, a, a marketing uh, campaign to try to get me and everyone else to gamble. And I was saying to Dan, you know, offline a couple weeks ago, I said it on my show this week, where I find a lot of it to be comical because I feel like, you know, my life experience, I know so much more about gambling than anybody else that when I hear these marketing uh, ploys and I hear, you know, guys at work talking about, you know, how they're picking games, part of me wants to just sit them down and slap them in the face and say, look, you've got it all wrong. But I'm not... I'm not attracted to it anymore, and that's a weird change of life for me. It's amazing you say that because I feel the exact same way. You know, I mentioned earlier that all my life I was attracted to the company of gamblers, but these people on TV, they, they, see, they just don't seem like gamblers. They don't seem like they right. know what they're talking about. I watch 
I watch a decent amount of tennis on TV, and they talk about gambling on tennis mm-hmm. now. And when I hear, like, Martina Navratilova talking about odds on a tennis match. Yeah, I feel the same <laughs> way. Like, they're using former athletes who don't know a damn thing about gambling, about lines, about parlays and teases, reverses, all that stuff. And it just, it's like, you know, it just makes no sense to me. Like, that's not the guy that I would listen to about gambling. He doesn't know anything about it. I know. And those are the brand ambassadors now because they're familiar faces and it's and, and it's targeting the youth. And that's and Dave, that's the young people that we Craig and I talk about a lot on this show. You get those twenty one to twenty five year olds, twenty one to twenty eight year olds. I was just received a message this past week from a, a mom who's got a student in New Jersey going to college who's struggling again. And it's just it, it's endless because they see these brand ambassadors on TV, the Drew Brees, you know, all the famous people, the Martina Navratilovas, people who have been successful in their careers. So they must know something, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to maybe do what they do. Well, you know, and here's the other thing, and I think both of you guys will uh, understand this and agree with it. You know, if if any one of us sat down tomorrow with random guys at a Texas Hold'em table, I'm going to beat them every day of the week. I'm, you know, because yeah. yeah, that's what I know. And I feel like they, that wave has kind of passed, and now the wave is sports gambling. And I hear guys making picks, and I'm like, you have no idea, like, how to handicap a line or how to read, you know, you know what's going on. And it's there are times it's actually frustrating, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, they, you're right. They don't even have the lingo down. I mean, and that was part of the charm. It, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if some big-name athlete sort of took the high road and took a stance against doing that and did it sort of publicly. Yeah, but they won't because it's a big check. Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, it's just, it's a shame, though. But the good news is for, for us that are in recovery, you know, we see these commercials, but we don't really see them. All right, let me talk about the upside of this because I, I think it's important, you know, for people uh, who are going through it who are at step one. You know, now step one I always think is the most daunting and the most difficult step to take, you know, a lot of people, I felt this way, Dan felt this way for sure, you know, I'm never going to have a life worth living. I'm never going to figure it out. My financial problems are never going to get cured. I'm never going to make amends. You know, there's no reason to wake up tomorrow. It's just too tough. The walls are caving in. And although the three of us are testament that you can, you'll get past it, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to get through that very first step. What advice would you give people or the relatives of people who worry that they have a friend or a family member that has a problem about day one? Like, what advice can you give them to take the risk of making the first step? All those doubts that you alluded to, those things that go through your mind, they're all true and they all exist. But the minute you get to a 12-step meeting and you see people in recovery – that there was a chance that that stuff will go away because when I went to my first meeting, you know, I had all these things. What am I going to do for fun? What will ever make me smile again? How will I ever get out of debt? Mm. How am I going to fill the void? But once you meet people that are actively doing those positive things, you realize there's hope for you because you look around the room and you say, these guys aren't superheroes. They're not super people. If they can do it, I can do it. You have to experience recovery before you really get to know what it's about. Yeah, and Dan, we talk a lot about if you even put half the amount of time and mental energy into recovery that you used to put into gambling, uh, you'll be able to figure it out, don't you think? Absolutely, and and the tricky part about that is is we're, we're we're coming from an activity that's isolating in nature and it provides that immediate dopamine boost. You know, you're getting a reinforcement every three, five, ten seconds, but with recovery, it's a slower process. 
And that's one of the hard things I think that younger people and the younger generation of recovery really uh, face. Recovery long-term, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I'm coming up on 12 years, February 11th, and it's going to be a – and life is just better. We talk about this. But it didn't happen overnight. And in this society we live in today with one-day delivery, same-day delivery, we want instant gratification. Recovery doesn't work that way. It's slow and steady, but it does matter. Yeah, I, I also think it's not the worst thing in the world. Not that you want to be reminded of it every minute of every day, but you know, to keep your ego in check and keep uh, you in line, it's not the worst thing in the world to be reminded of your past once in a while. No, absolutely. I mean, yep. I, I think about it, and I, I don't glorify it, but I also know that the 30 years that I gambled, not every second of it was hateful. There were some okay times. Sure. I mean, I lived through it. Yeah. But, I mean, this, this is, you know, the only the only problem with having a lot of years in the fellowship, as you guys well know, is I've gotten old. I mean, I'm <laughs> loving my life now. And, well, uh, so old is only a number, right? You don't act old. I understand that. <laughs> I don't act old. It's true. But, it, it's you know, all the, you think back to some of the things you heard when you first came in, like, Relax, pal. The only thing you have to give up is gambling. You don't have to give up good meals. You don't have to give up smiling. You don't have to give up pretty women. You don't have to give up having a good time. You just have to give up gambling. But you only can hear that in meetings. You won't hear that from your family or from people on the street. Right. You know, we're two weeks away from the Super Bowl, and I wonder for you, Dave, do you still like watching sports? Is it still a part of your life, or do you not have the interest you used to have? It's absolutely one of the best parts of my recovery, Craig. I've been a sports degenerate my whole life. Like people of my age, I grew up playing basketball, football, and baseball. We didn't have soccer or across then. I love watching sports. I never care about last-minute touchdowns. I never know the lines. I mean, if you couldn't enjoy that Kansas City-Buffalo game, something's yeah. wrong with you. Yeah, I actually enjoy sports more now than I ever did. Me too. Absolutely. Because I don't like it. You know, I have the teams I root for, but yeah, like watching that Kansas City-Buffalo game – if I'd had money on that game, I would not have enjoyed yeah. any yeah, aspect of that game. And, I mean, more importantly, if my wife comes downstairs and says, we absolutely have to leave, and there's four minutes left in the game, we leave. Right. Exactly right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, uh, congratulations on uh, the recovery. I think your story is amazing. I think, you know, people like you sharing it for all the years that you've shared it, you know, it helps. You know, it helps humanize the addiction. And like I, I said in an interview a couple of days ago, you know, one positive aspect of gambling being legalized at the rapid pace it's being legalized is that it has mainstreamed these types of conversations. And I think it's going to make it easier for people ultimately to be willing to step forward and get some help. Yeah, the help is definitely there if you want it. I mean, that's really important. You got to want it. Well, Dave, I appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and I hope to stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you both, Greg. And All right, Dan. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Dave. All right, Dan. So uh, you're working towards 12. He's got you beat, uh, but you're going to get there too. And I, I can't wait to be sitting next to you when uh, you celebrate 30 and uh, 35. Uh, and I think that'll be an amazing accomplishment, just like 12 is or, you know, 3.7 is for me. Uh, before I let you go, we obviously have the uh, championship games tomorrow and then the Super Bowls in two weeks. And then, you know, uh, you know a short trip after that is March Madness. Is there a significant uptake in the amount of people that come forward this time of year to acknowledge that they have a problem? And how much of that is people that you know, just feel bad for a minute because they lost a Super Bowl bet versus people that really come forward and need help? 
Yeah, you know, we do, we do, the helplines traditionally, historically even, have seen uptick in calls, not necessarily after the Super Bowl per se, but during the month of March. And whether that's because of the fallout from Super Bowl and March Madness, maybe some of the games not going their way, or if it's from the increased marketing. Because during the month of March, which is nationally recognized as Problem Gambling Awareness Month, to coincide with March Madness, state by state, there is an increase in the push of marketing messaging, which partially, in a small way, helps to offset the, the messages and ads to open gambling accounts. So I think more people, it creates heightened awareness and more people understand where the number is and they call to say, hey, I, you know, I don't know, I might have a problem. I, I just lost this money. I spent too much time. My relationship's in the toilet. You know, I just want to talk to somebody. So, yes, we do see more calls coming in this time of year. And whether it's a function of marketing or a function of the magnitude of the games being played, it's hard to tell. Is there any way to track how many people who make the phone call to 800Gambler, which is our sponsor, you know, the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, who then take it to the next step and actually talk to someone or go to a meeting and actually uh, follow through on getting help? So that, that's interesting because they're doing some great things now at 800 Gambler, and I still, I still work with and, and consult with them from time to time. Uh, they're in the middle right now of uh, employing some peer recovery specialists, people that can then follow up on those people who call the helpline asking for help, reaching out, say, a month later or a couple weeks later, to find out how they're doing. It's really hard, though, to find the person who says, yes, I called, I went to treatment, I go to the meetings, because those are anonymous meetings. So we can't really gauge and interact in that way with the Gamblers Anonymous Fellowship. But there are some things you can do by getting permission to follow up and ask them. The problem with that is, you know, six months later, the person just may not answer the phone. They may not want to talk to you. So it's really hard, Craig. You know, I know. I can only go back to when I was in early recovery. I wouldn't want anyone calling me. You know, Dave talks about going to dinner and going to coffee with guys after a meeting. I avoided that. I wanted nothing to do with it early on. It was, it was a struggle. It really was. Yeah, no, I understand that completely. Well, listen, we've come to the end of it. Obviously, always appreciate your time. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, we'll do this again uh, next week. And then, of course, we'll have a, uh, a special show centered around Super Bowl Sunday for those of you that find yourself in harm's way. Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. Love you, buddy. Always appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Thanks. Have a great week, Craig. All right. Uh, Evan Roberts is next at 10 o'clock. He'll be yelling and screaming about something, most likely war, whip, or <laughs> God knows what. And then he and I are back Monday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Thank you for allowing us into your homes and cars and smart speakers. We appreciate it. If you have a friend or a loved one that you think may have a problem, pick up the phone and call. If you are someone that thinks you have a problem, tell a friend, tell a relative, and start the process of getting help. It can happen, and you can have a life worth living well after you conquer your addiction. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Have a great weekend.